great to be back with Lakes Assembly. I've, I've been uh, running pretty pretty wide open, man. I got out a couple of well, a couple of months ago now into a particular uh, set of meetings in uh, a town called Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, and uh, the Lord began to move there. We went into extended meetings, did about twenty five nights, and uh, saw a lot of souls saved. And, and everywhere that we've been since then, the Lord has just continued to uh, do two things: really stir a burden for the lost at another level within the body of Christ. And as always, but even more intensify, the Lord has drawn those, that the, the backslider that needs to come to repentance, the, the lost that are in the house. Um, there are, you know, you hear people talk about how hard this generation is to reach, but I don't, I don't believe that. I've never seen a more uh, amazing time of harvest. I travel all over America, and people are getting saved. The young people are getting saved. Uh, if there's a deficiency, it's not the lost getting in the house. It, it's that... When you get them there, the body of Christ reaching out and adopting them, it's, it's uh, healthy houses that will disciple them. And that's why I'm, I, I, this is not a commercial, I'm, I'm serious. That's why I'm so happy to be here because it's a, it's a house where you know anybody that comes in that door is going to have a legitimate family. They're going to be pastored. They're going to be shepherded. And uh, when I was with you guys last time, I made so many friends throughout the body. And th- there wasn't one person I met here that you couldn't yoke a young believer up to and uh, that they would not uh, disciple them up, you know, bring them into the house of God, not try to start their own thing, uh, but true Book of Acts biblical discipleship. And so I applaud you guys for that, and um, I'm just believing for more to come. Amen? Amen. Praise God. William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, many of you may be familiar with William Booth, uh, he said this, he said, we must wake ourselves up or someone else will take our place, bear our cross, and thereby rob us of our crown. I'm going to be speaking on the crown this morning. Um, the, the second service, unless the Lord leads differently, I'm going to bring a different message. So if you would like to be offended, I would like to invite you back to the second service. I'm going to be, I'm going to be pretty cool in the first one, it, 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 for me anyway, amen. Say this prayer with me out loud, dear G. I I want everybody. Dear Jesus, plow the field of my heart. Plant the seed of your word deep within me. Let it bring forth harvest. In Jesus' name, Amen. No, I was. I'm not. I'm not a guy that uh, has a lot of like you know, open-eyed visions or dreams or any of this thing. I've got a lot of friends that are uh, heavily into the prophetic and, and, and these kind of streams, but it's just not. I mean, I would almost make it as a Baptist. I just preach salvation and repentance, and I'm just real conservative. My wife reads all these books, you know, and I'm like, well. I don't know about I don't know about that, but I was about five years ago. I was in New Orleans at a uh, we'd take teams down there, and we were equipping some guys to go out on the streets. And uh, it was around it, it was actually they have a thing in October that's similar to Mardi Gras called Voodoo Fest. Uh, but we were there for that, and and uh, during a worship service there, I had a, I did have a vision, and in this vision, it was it was a unique thing. It was like the Lord had me, and I'm not being weird or flaky this morning, but this is what happened. So it, I'm just got to preface the revelation the Lord gave me. So it was like the Lord brought me into this room, and it was like he had been waiting on me to get there. And he said, he said, Levi, like, come in. And he wanted to show me something in this vision. And whenever he opened like a cabinet, and he took out a crown that he was working on for me. And I've all, we always think in terms of we're the ones working on this crown. You know, we're going to win a bunch of souls. We're going to do a bunch of good deeds. And we're going to throw this crown at God's feet. We preach these messages. I preach messages like that. But in that moment when I saw that, 
this light bulb came into my mind. Maybe you already knew this, but I'm not the one even working on this crown in the first place. He's working on building that crown through my life. There's no good in me. There's, there's nothing that I brought to the table. I was a burnout drug addict that Jesus rescued. And so he's working on the very crown. And so no wonder that we will give that to him on that day because it's, it's, it's been his all along. It's the workmanship of his own hands. And so I want to dwell on that. But there are things that come to rob us of that crown, just like William Booth said. I remember the one who brought me up in ministry who greatly influenced my life, uh, the, the late evangelist Steve Hill, had a tremendous message on, on uh, it, it was called, um, uh, you can't have it on the crown, Revelations 3.11, we'll reference that scripture today, but uh, I, I remember holding those notes over and over and I'd read Steve's scribbles in the corner and just get such a revelation of the bravity of our whole lives exist for this one moment, this one moment when we're given, this is the sum of your life and we're able to present that to Jesus. So the Bible talks about a lot of different kinds of crowns talks about a crown of life uh, for those who persevere under trial, an incorruptible crown uh, that's written to draw a contrast to the crowns of heaven, to the crowns of this earth that men are working and giving their whole lives for, things that are going to perish, things that are going to burn. The Bible talks about a crown of righteousness for those who love and anticipate his coming, a crown of glory for those who shepherd the flock. Your pastor is going to receive one of these talks about a crown of rejoicing for those that win souls, the evangelist. It talks about a martyr's crown. I hope to receive a martyr's crown. I was just last year at the great Colosseum in Rome where so many were martyred, a very sobering moment, and I, I realized that I pray God find me worthy, not, not in a weird way, but I pray God would find me worthy, if, if, if so, to receive that one day, that I would preach the gospel and cause such a trouble for the devil that that would be the case. But as we referenced, Revelations 3.11 says this, and we're going to get into the word today. It says, hold fast, your King James or other translations will say, hold on so tight to what you have that no one steals that crown. Amen. Do we have any history buffs or like people that are big into history in the house? Are you familiar with a guy named Thomas Blood? I, I was not familiar. Uh, I do have a very old library. I love to read about these things. But there was a man named Thomas Blood. Some of you may have learned about him in high school, but in 1671, uh, Thomas Blood made an attempt on the crown jewels. And I want you to spiritualize the story. It doesn't take a prophet to draw the parallels, but I think it very well illustrates the enemy in our life. And we don't need to come to church to hear a fascinating story. We need to let the, let the word of the Lord go through us and say, what are you trying to say to me, Jesus? Uh, this is not something I just travel around to, just to say. This is, this is, I believe, a word of God for the house, for those that would be in this service this morning. Uh, but Thomas Blood, 1671, this guy had been a, a revolutionary, a, a rebel, uh, uh, maybe, maybe something of an uh, insurrectionist. And uh, he'd been in and out of trouble many times, but uh, he, didn't he was very prideful. He liked the notoriety. He didn't quit. And he decides he's going to make, uh, uh, make a run at the, the crown jewels of England. And so this is what he does. Draw the parallels. Thomas Blood, 1671, he, he, he dresses up like a priest or a parson. He wears a cleric's robe. And he has a woman pose as his wife. And uh, he goes to see the crown jewels of England on display, kind of a public display. And while they're there, uh, the woman that's pretending to be his wife fakes a sickness. She grabs her stomach and falls to the ground. And a young man named Edward Edwards, who was the overseer of the crown jewels, his, he lived in a tower next to it. He was like the guard of these. His whole responsibility from England 
was to guard the crown jewels. But he sees this poor woman that seems to be a pastor's wife uh, laying on the ground, writhing in pain. And he says to her, I live right next door in this tower. Let me take you to my house and so my wife can care for you. So they take Thomas Blood in his disguise. They take the, the lady uh, to, the, to the, the guard tower and uh, they go through the motions of caring for her sickness and she quickly recovers. Uh, amazing, right? And uh, a couple of weeks later, Thomas Blood goes to his house and he's got some, some very expensive white gloves that he wants to bless the family with. And he says, man, you guys saved my wife's life. Flattering lips. You guys saved my wife's life. I'd love to get to know you more. Could I come for dinner sometime? And they invite Thomas Blood over for dinner. Why wouldn't we invite this wonderful preacher to our house? And so he comes to the house and he makes friends with them. He begins to uh, seemingly be the answer to every problem they have in life. He helps them financially. He gives great gifts. He flatters. He says, man, you do such a good job protecting those crown jewels. I'm so honored to know you. He even, they say, well, we've got a daughter. I guess she was ugly, but they have a daughter. They couldn't get married. And he says, man, I've got a nephew. He's a wealthy man and he would make a great husband. He'd be a great suitor for your daughter. And so it seems that he's answering all their problems. The whole time, he's strategizing, how can I get into these crown jewels? How can I uh, get these for myself? How can I even overthrow the royalty of England? And he, uh, he waits to a very special dinner. And while the wife is preparing the dinner, Thomas Blood's brought a couple of friends along. And he says, oh, do, you, do you think that I could... Do you think that I could see the crown jewels up close, not behind the glass and all of that, but you think I could just get up close and see them? I'd like to pray a blessing over the crown of England. And so he says, absolutely. You're, you're a dear friend of mine. Let me take you in there, access that nobody gets. And he takes in Thomas Blood. One of his friends says, I'll stand guard in case some vandal comes. And so he offers to stand guard. This is how the enemy deceives us. He, he, he offers to stand guard. And Thomas Blood goes... And this is, this is history. Look it up. He goes, holy, 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 holy. He begins to approach the crown jewels uh, with this uh, blessing that he's praying and this, this priest. And they go into the room where they're at. He's with one of his buddies. The other one's a standing guard. And Mr. Edwards, it was the, the overseer. And as soon as they step into that room, his buddy throws a bag over Mr. Edwards' head. They hit him in the head with a club. They stab him. They leave him bound on the ground. Thomas Blood goes to the crown jewels. He takes the very crown of England. He beats it flat with a mallet, puts it into his parson's robe. The, one of his buddies takes the, the, the scepter. He saws it in half. Another one takes the royal or, orb, stuffs it down his trousers, and they're stealing all the crown jewels of England. The guard is over here bleeding and, and tied up and stabbed, and some kind of commotion breaks out. History's a little unclear, but as they begin to flee, Mr. Edwards cries out, treason, the crown has been taken, treason, the crown has been taken. So they begin to run, and they're, they're running, running. Watch the devil's tactics in this. This is how he's going to come for your crown. This is not a history lesson. He's running, 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 and the first thing that happens, they, they come across, it's like a drawbridge, and there's, there's a, a, a soldier there, there's a guard there that's responded to the cries for help, and he raises his musket, but when he sees the the, the, the religious appearance of the preacher's robe and he sees he doesn't understand what's going on and the man hesitates he raises his musket but he hesitates and he doesn't fire number one okay 
I want to be, the Bible talks about dumb dogs that won't bark when danger's near. As, a, as an evangelist, as a man of God, I, I want to be a man in this generation that doesn't hesitate whenever the crown, people's crowns are in danger. Now, I'm not trying to be, but this is reality, man. I watch, I, I, I have a very blessed life in that I get a very, we're involved in a lot of things. We're, we don't just travel and preach. We've got discipleship centers for people coming off drugs, and we're mentoring evangelists, and we're involved in a lot of things. So I get a, a very close uh, front row seat into people's lives. And I have watched anointed, powerful, called, uh, you know, just equipped and, and, and talented men and women of God have everything stolen from them. Men that are better men than I am be deceived and have everything stolen from them. And I've had that moment where the enemies come, not, not him. It'll, it'll offend him if you warn him. Maybe you just need to pray for him. Maybe there's a way to package this so it won't be uh, so, so harsh. But, but there's not time for that, okay? So I preach a very clear message. I preach to the point like a, like a, like a, a kindergartner can understand. I preach the Bible like it's, you know, a child's story because I want everyone to be clear. I don't want us to be confused that danger is near in this time. There's a work to do. There, there's not a let's attend church on Sunday. There's a work to do right here in Rockwall uh, that, that, that for everyone, on, everyone under the sound of my voice, not just the ministry team or the worship team or the pastor, we're lo- there's, there's three places we could be. We could be lost, and there will be an opportunity to fix that in a few moments. We could be backslidden away from God, or we could be engaged in the service of the Lord's work. There, there, there is no pew sitter in the Bible. And you have a pastor that would walk with you and mentor you and a team through whatever development you need to be effective. But there are also leaders that aren't going to hesitate whenever uh, the enemy is coming. You know, maybe you got a got a, a young man or young woman, you're you know, in your 20s and, and somebody's come into the, the group and suddenly they're very interested in them. Well, praise God. You know, we've been praying two years for a husband or wife, but sometimes that's a trick of the enemy to steal the crown. And it might, it might be dressed up like a parson. That job opportunity might be a Christian boss and look very religious. It might even be a ministry opportunity that could displace us from the plan of God. And so I'm one now, I don't just run around shooting off at the mouth. I pray before I do these things. But I'm going to fire my musket and I'm going to, I'm going to address the enemy whenever, whenever he's coming. I'm not going to hesitate. So that's the first thing the enemy did. Remember this, you, you, he took advantage of, of those who would not warn and preach the gospel. Thank God for people in your life like that. Number two, they run past that guard. They get to the drawbridge. Another guard comes that is not afraid to fire the musket. Thomas Blood's trapped, so he runs up to that guy and he says, Quickly, trees and the crowd's being stolen over there. So they run over there and he keeps, he keeps going. Number two thing the enemy's going to do, he's, whenever there's a, there's a spiritual battle coming, when there's struggle, he's going to deflect and distract. He's going to point fingers at other brothers. You know, when, every time, I've never seen a move of God in our ministry or our life or my marriage or my family or anything without uh, just an attack of the enemy coming on the other side. And I've got to the point, I thank God for those things. My, my children play these little video games, and even they understand when, when you see the bad guys coming, you're going the right way. But in, but in, in the church, as soon as we're, we're doing the right thing, we're going after God, the enemy wants to steal something, the first thing he starts doing is he, he points at other brothers and he begins to try to cause division and distraction. Don't worry about what I'm doing. It's the Sunday school department. It's the... Did you see her when she was leading worship? She likes to draw attention to her. All this crazy finger pointing. 
that causes a distraction so he can come in and rob anything he wants to rob. The enemy's coming in and trying to rip away your marriage with some wolf, but he'll cause an offense with your pastor so you can't receive from him. Listen to me. This is real stuff, guys. So he says over there, and they, they keep going. He continues to run. He's finally cut the story short just for the sake of time, but he's finally apprehended. And this is why I choose this story, because I don't know anything that more reminds me of Lucifer. That, hey, brother, man, this right here, see these two guys right here? They work with the ministry we had in Texas. This guy right here is one of the most on-fire young men of God evangelists I know. He's rescued from drugs and alcohol. Brother Neon, praise God. He's one of the ones that, like, knows what I'm talking about. The enemy came after that crown with all kind of deception and lies. Thank God the Lord revealed him. But so they're, they're, uh, they capture Thomas Blood, and they're, they're, you know, you'd think he's about to get executed. This is what he said. He goes, it was a valiant attempt, even if I wasn't successful. He laughs. He says, I was going after a crown. Wow. That's Satan if I've ever seen him. He doesn't even, it doesn't even matter win or lose. He read the book. He knows he's probably going to lose. He's so arrogant that if he can just cause a problem for the body of Christ, it's worth it. You know, he went after Jesus in the wilderness. At what point did he think that was going to work? But he's so arrogant, he's so prideful that he goes after big game and he'll come after you. Hey, man, we got to move. Proverbs 6. Proverbs 6, 16. The Bible says there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, that's a prideful look. A lying tongue, everything from the story. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that hurry. That means they're excited to run and do evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. We have the devil going uh, in all these things through this, through this allegory or this story of Thomas Blood. We know that he's going to well up pride enough. He's going to, how did he ever in the first place get into the, this, this, this uh, uh, guard of the crown jewels' his life in the first place? He flattered him. One of the first, and I'm saying this, so we'll be suspicious of the enemy's tactics when we see him. The first thing he's going to do is tell you how great you are. I've seen, you know, I've seen evangelists, this is firsthand accounts, I've seen evangelists fall into all sort of moral failure that begin like this. Minister to somebody in a prayer line. But I, praise God, I thank God I've seen enough of this stuff that I'm just like, I, I don't trust nothing, man. I'm suspicious. I'm like Charlie's in the bushes, man, everything that I do. But minister in a prayer line, and then some young lady, it could be, you know, it could be a female evangelist with a young man, but some lady, young lady comes up, you're so anointed. Man, I wish my pastor was anointed like that. I need to spend some time sitting under your covering. I need you to pour into me. And, it, and it, where they would never have fallen to lust, they would never have seen you know, somebody dressed inappropriately. And gone, the flattery comes in. I've seen wolves come into churches, and this is how they gather people to themselves. Your pastor does not appreciate your gift. He's not using you the way that he ought to. That's never the voice of God, people. It's always the enemy. God doesn't come in like that. When, when Jesus walks in the room, let me go Bible on you, okay? 
Isaiah, when Jesus comes in a room, he's not saying, oh, Isaiah, how powerful you are. Isaiah says, oh, God, woe unto me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm undone. I'm unworthy to be in your presence. Peter says, I'm a, I'm, you shouldn't even be in a boat with me. We see story after story after story. Like, I can tell you, when I have an encounter with God, I'm not thinking, oh, the assumers of God are not using my gift enough. No. I'm th- honest, honest, I'm being real. I just shoot bullets, guys. I'm being real with you. I think, what in the world am I doing here? People that know my life, I'll sit in a room sometimes and cry. Many times I'll come off a platform, go in the green room and, and start crying. And I'll say, Jesus, you used me again. Like, I don't deserve to have the wife that I have. I don't deserve to have the family that I have. I certainly don't deserve to be able to travel and preach the gospel full time. Like, what are we even, how did we, God has been so good to us. How did we even get here? And when we come into the real presence of God, he's so big. And we seem so little. It's always going to be like that when something is truly the Lord. And you're gonna, he's going to say, my son or my daughter. And you're going to feel this liquid love. And you're going to be like, wow, I am your son. I am your daughter. But man, my mind can't even wrap around that. It's never going to flatter the flesh. Guard that. Because, it's, because there's always an end result. The, we quote it, we say, the thief come to steal, kill, and destroy. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the thief come but not to or for no other reason than to kill, steal, and destroy. That means every time there's a sin, every time there's a flattering, every time there's pride built up, there's always the same end game. He has no other purpose except to destroy and steal. Every time he's setting you up. Every time he says stay home this week, there's always something on the other side. Every time, you know, Click off onto this website or go on to this movie. It's never just so you can lust. The goal is never lust. The goal is destroy your household. The goal goes destroy your message. Shut your voice up so you can't be used of God. The goal is to steal your kids from you. You know, whenever we're not, this is not the message this morning, but Lot, whenever the, the angels came and warned him that he, they were going to destroy Sodom, the first person he goes to is his son in law's. And they laugh at him because they can't take Lot serious as a man of God, though he was, because they've been watching him party with everybody else in Sodom. It's never bothered you before, Lot. Why is it a big deal now? I don't want to live like that. I don't want to get up on Sunday. My, and, and I mean, I'm not by any means, you know, man, I need Jesus' help. But I'm not somebody who's going to just be okay with everything all week long. And live however, and then get up and, and preach holiness. Selah. He's going to come with all kinds of distractions. We've got to move. He's going to point the finger. I believe some of us in this place, honest, seriously, everything that the Lord has laid for us, the promises, you've received a prophecy, maybe even your your pastor or someone who's come into the church to speak has spoke a word over you. One of the leaders has spoke a word. God wants to use you mightily in evangelism. God wants to use you mightily with the youth or whatever that might be. That, that's when the Lord reveals his heart, his desire, his dream for your life. But you know, immediately there's attached to that a target. There's immediately attached to any kind of prophecy an assignment from Satan to destroy and steal that. And I believe that's what we're talking about today. I believe your houses. I believe your children. I believe your legacies. I believe there are those that have lived for Jesus. You've been faithful. But the enemy, through the things we're talking about this morning, would come in and he would destroy your relationship with your own kids. How, 
how, how would he do that? I'm trying to be a godly example. I'm trying to be that. It could be as simple as this. Thanksgiving's coming up. That's one of the best times to evangelize. People tell me, oh, I got my lost daughter. I got my lost loved one. I got it. Man, make a turkey. I mean, it's not, it's not a rocket science outreach. Like, make a turkey, get them to the house, preach Jesus. They say, I can't do that. I'll offend them. They, they won't come back. Man, they've been coming for five years, and they're still not saved. Try something different. <laughs> preach the gospel. They don't come back. At least you ain't got to feed them next year, but they might get saved. So he can come with fear and intimidation and prevent you from preaching the gospel in that situation. Do you know every single time that I've been, I mean, this is, I can't think of an exception, that I've been just scared to death to talk to someone close to me or a family member or someone like that. I've had a burden, but I've I've been terrified to confront that. As soon as I stepped out in faith, there's been a breakthrough in that situation. Because the enemy had such a resistance because he didn't even want me to come near to that border that he was protecting. But when we confronted that, God began to move. I've had family members cuss me out and hang up the phone. And less than a month or two months later, you know, man, I've really, I really do need some help. I really am going through some things. I'd like to come and talk to you. But the enemy comes to steal these things. When, when, whenever we think that it's going to be okay to just slow down a little bit. I just need a little break from all this. You know, I'm going to service and I'm sitting under all the pre. But I just need to be a normal person for a little bit. You know, I'm going to hang out, go get a beer, shoot a little pool, hang out with some buddies from work. I know nobody in this house would ever experience that. But the enemy is, is stealing so much more from you than missing a Sunday morning. It's a lure. He'll connect you with people that are going to hear again, flatter and They're going to be great friends to you at first. They're going to be great buddies. Those, they're, you know, whatever the case might be. And he's going to lure you away from the plans of God. He's going to lure you away from this house. And the longer you're away, the harder it's going to be to come back. Now shame's going to come. You have to see how strategic this stuff is. So here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to say a prayer that the Lord right now would begin to deal with our hearts. We could, we could play some soft music, but I don't want to get a, you know, rock concert going or anything. And, uh, you know, I, I just pray across the house, everyone within the sound of my voice. I pray that the Lord would give you very sober eyes, that he would open the eyes, this happens in the Bible, that he would open the eyes of our understanding. We asked him before we preached, we said, Jesus, plow the field of my heart, plant your word deep within me, let it bring forth harvest. The harvest he wants is repentance. The harvest he wants is to seal off these doorways to the enemy. Because the, the crown the enemy's after, he's after it because it's valuable, because it matters. And so, Lord, I ask you right now that you would reveal in the eyes of our spirit and our understanding the inroads of the enemy. And if we've already sat down to have dinner with him, it's not a condemning thing. This is because, this is really a, a welcoming thing, but if we've already sat down to dinner with him, if he's already trying to lure his way in, if he's already trying to deceive us, show us right now. Don't let him just listen to me pray. Show us right now. Because I didn't come to preach a message. I come to truly make a difference in the kingdom of God because there, there are lives that matter in the house. There are futures that matter. There are purposes that matter. And they matter to you enough to make them matter to me. Lord, right now, for goodness sakes, let them matter to the individual in whose life they exist. Reveal the inroads of the enemy into our homes. The small foxes. The inroads destroy our ministries and bring division in the house. And Lord, let us own that none of those things came from you. 
if we've entertained these other lovers, if we've entertained these other affections, Lord, you're the only thing that deserves our obsession. No material item, no ambition. If we've entertained these other things, Lord, forgive us. In Jesus' name.